Jesus. You are glorious. You are mighty. God, you are our king. Hallelujah, hallelujah. There was one archangel that was thrown out of heaven. And you know what he was in charge of? He was in charge of worship. Can you imagine all the battles coming at you right now while you're trying to worship? Because he already knows. Think about that. Let's praise him one more time. Hallelujah. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus in your name. Praise the Lord. So if some of you are worrying about the scores tonight, the football game, I got a spoiler. God wins. Waited all day to say that. <laughs> so I'm going to have you stand just for a brief moment and then um, we're going to go into the word of God. I want to thank uh, my pastor for allowing me to speak, um, for telling me to speak. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know, I sat there and uh, I have a bunch of sermons that I've written and stuff like that. And he called me. I was trying to fill in for somebody else uh, who's a much better speaker than I am. But I really appreciate you having me come up. And uh, I had some ideas of what I wanted to do. And then God kind of directed me down a different path. So I hope tonight that something touches your heart. I want you to think about something tonight. I want you to think about yourself, where you're at in your walk with God. If you've been called into any kind of ministry whatsoever and you've maybe put it on a back burner or been running from it, I want you to think about that tonight as I speak and hopefully uh, what God has given me will touch your heart. I had promised, well, I have a testimony real quick if you don't mind. John Capriati Barry's uncle, uh, I got a text from John Saturday that he had had a heart attack. He wasn't responding, things like that. And we have a praise report that he's up, talking, responding today. Let's praise God for that. Now we got to get him to church, right, Barry? He's working on that. He got him there once, he got him again. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to go into scripture here, and it's a long passage, so I don't want you to have to stand the entire time, so you can be seated if you'd like. The last time I spoke, I asked Brother Carlson to read scripture for me, and it had a lot of rough names in it. I didn't do that on purpose, I promise. It had a lot of lengthy passages. Tonight I have a few more lengthy passages. So I'm going to have you sit for this part, but it's good stuff. And I, uh, I made a promise to myself that I would never again ask someone to read a long passage like that for me, with the exception of Brother Rico Lopez. <laughs> now, you've got to understand why I have certain people read scriptures for me. I'm sure I would do just fine, but I have this thing. I do a lot of audio books I do the Bible and audio, and so certain voices resonate with me, certain passion resonates with me and energy, and so consider it a compliment, Brother Carlson, Brother Lopez. 
So if you'd turn with us to Jonah 1. Some of this is going to sound familiar, obviously, but we're going to look at it from an angle, hopefully, that, that by refreshing you a little bit can help you to either uh, go after something in your life that God has called you to do, or maybe if you know someone in your life, a friend or family member who maybe is just kind of hesitant to listen to the voice of God. So, Brother Lopez. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep, down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at, this time, at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them, he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. <laughs> then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Thank you. If you could bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight asking you to touch our hearts as I bring forth this message that you've given me, God, that they can see through your words in the Bible, God, how it applies to their life. And take it with them and they leave tonight. Your wonderful name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. I'm not too sure how many of you know my background. Um, some of you have known me most of my life or some of my life. I was raised in the church. My parents came into the church through Elam Tabernacle in 1972. I know everything was black and white and all that then. And I was two years old. 
So I came with him. <laughs> I came to Elon with him. I thought that was funny when I wrote it, but I guess not. <laughs> but I was, raised, uh, I was raised in the church pretty much my entire life. Um, and at, in kindergarten, I went to VCY. VCY had a Christian school um, over in West Dallas, and I attended VCY's Christian school for my kindergarten year. And then Elam opened up a school, and I believe I went there from first to third or something like that, and then they closed it down. I was in public for a while and then came back and finished high school um, at the church at Elam School. So my entire life was around the church. I remember someone asked me, how often did you go to church? And I said, well, we went Sunday morning, Sunday night. Actually, when my dad was working on the work at the Gospel Lighthouse, we'd go Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday night, or Monday night peanut brittle, Tuesday night gospel at house, Wednesday night Elam, Thursday night was choir, so until I could play drums, I was kind of free on Thursday nights. Friday night was youth, and then Saturday, you're like, oh, you get Saturday. We'd go on bus ministry. So my entire life was, was in the church. At eight years old, I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins, And at that age, I began to pour my heart into the Bible. I began reading the Bible at that young age. You know, here they have the bread programs that they put out. And so I believe at that age is when I started reading the Bible. Um, And I had a love for the Bible, um, the stories, and and a lot more. And uh, I found myself beginning to want the Holy Ghost. I was baptized before I had the Holy Ghost at eight years old, and At eight years old, my father had talked to me about it, and he decided, yeah, you could get baptized. But I didn't receive the Holy Ghost until I was 14. So from age eight, I dug into the Bible, and then probably within that time, maybe 10 years old or so, I started to pray for the Holy Ghost. It's a long time to pray for the Holy Ghost. Um, So for about six years, I prayed. Well, at the age of 12, I had been called to be a preacher. I was in a service. I felt the calling. I didn't know what it was. I kind of ignored it. And then at our chapel at school, I felt called again at 12 years old. And I thought, well, I don't have the Holy Ghost, so I, I don't know if this is really for me or whatever. Well, at 14 years old, I received the Holy Ghost. And at 15, God brought that calling back into my heart, and he said, one day you're going to be a pastor. And at 15 years old, I preached my first sermon. It wasn't probably great. It was probably a little rough. It was in a play we were doing Azusa Street. I was Brother Seymour, so I had to bring a little bit of a flavor to the role. And uh, one of my best friends, who was not going at the church at the time, was at that service and received the Holy Ghost. And so that began my ministry and for God to begin to use me in my life. So I began teaching Sunday school. I think I was maybe 14 when I started teaching Sunday school. Started playing the drums. I was in Bible quizzing. All the Bible quizzers, raise your hand. Nobody's raising their hand. Breland, raise your hand. Bible quizzing? No, not anymore. Okay. I would witness. We'd go on bus ministry. And as I approached my 20s, I actually became youth leader at my father's church. And we were in a youth choir. And I promise I sang backup way back. But praise the Lord, he, he was using me through my teens. I was able to witness without any like hesitation, without any fear. 
and he helped. I helped them with knocking on doors. Um, I would preach on occasion, and uh, things were kind of going well. And then I got out of high school, went to college, and you know, you start thinking about girls, or girls start thinking about guys in the teen years, and I had kind of dated a few girls in the church, but my eyes kind of strayed, and I kind of started um, hanging around the wrong people. Started dating a few of the wrong people. Um, and what I thought taking my eyes off for a moment off of God was turned into a few years. I was still in the church. I was still youth leader, still being used for things. But I was distracted. Um, I began to get uh, heavily involved in sports. I had played a little bit of basketball. I had played some soccer. Did a little boxing. And so I began uh, scouting, coaching basketball, going to games. I was, we had our own games. We had other games to go to, to scout. And during that time, I had become married in my mid-20s. I was still a youth leader. Um, but I started to focus less on my spiritual walk, including my marriage, and more on sports and things of the world. Within a matter of years, I was going through a divorce. At the lowest point in my life, I felt as though I'd been swallowed up, much like Jonah. And I remained in that dark place. I began to write, and some of you know this, I began writing dark poetry. Not suicidal stuff, but dark poetry. I wrote some dark stories. I did, started doing, I don't know if you've ever heard of spoken word. We would do spoken word. I'd go downtown and, and give spoken word, and it was filled with frustration, rage, anger, depression. Depression over my life. I had left the church, going through the divorce, and my life was kind of headed in the wrong direction. Some could say Jonah was a little different because he was told to, called to go somewhere and then he chose to do something different. And you're like, well, you, you kind of seeped, it did it in a slower, uh, slower manner, but it's the same kind of thing. I basically ran from God. I started to blame God for the divorce. And so we get through all that, and I'm not trying to bring everybody down with that. So we'll move right on to the next part of this. But the frustration, the rage, the depression took me to a point in my life where I was scared. I was afraid. And I began to think about eternity. During that time, I wasn't going to church at the time. I was invited to a concert by Nancy Vick. It was a commissioned reunion. Commissioned was a gospel band that I had grown up listening to. Fred Hammond, Marvin Sapp. And so I went to that uh, concert, and God started to reopen my heart. And I started to look to him a little bit more. And it was kind of like a little bit of a pre-start to a new beginning. If we could go to Jonah 2, my good friend, Brother Lopez. One, verses 1 through 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, and Lord, you heard me. 
You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. So as I uh, left that concert, um, I was still dabbling a little bit in the worldly stuff, but I was making an effort to go to church. God began to work on me. He began to restore me. I started to be more faithful again with attendance and with doing things. If there was a church function, I was there. Um, around then, um, Jessica and I were friends at the time, and she had reached out to me and said, you know, you need to go in all the way. You need to, like, dive right in. You're still kind of, you know, she could sense that. And so I began to look at that. I remember um, we had started dating, and then... Uh, right before we got married, I had had some heart trouble, and I ended up in the hospital. And I was on the tenth floor, and uh, of St. Luke's, and my room looked out over the entire city of Milwaukee. I felt something. I saw that city, and I thought, "That's my city." And I think God at that moment started to give me a second chance. One of my friends that I had uh, grown very close to when I was out of the church, named James, he had also attended our wedding, but uh, we had done a lot together that little eight months or whatever. I wasn't going to church. Um, He was a great friend, not just in worldly sense, but he was a great friend, Um, close friend, kind of like a brother. We'd spent time together, me, him, and another friend uh, in the music scene. As you know, I used to play drums. I don't think I've played for quite a while. And uh, we were playing in clubs and bands when I, was out of the, when I was out of the church. And so we became really close friends. And uh, we had done a lot together. We had lunch together a lot, concerts, Packer games. Uh, we went on a Vegas trip. I remember one of the Packer games we went to was when uh, one of the Monday night games, the fans were throwing bottles at the refs. I don't know if you remember that a few years ago. And so we came to the Packer game with this huge sign of a ref my buddy was a really good artist, and it showed a bottle hitting him on the head, and he was like, duh, or whatever. You know, that's, we're trying to get on TV with that sign. I don't know if we ever made it on TV, but it was kind of fun. But uh, we get a call a few months after our wedding, and James was at our wedding, and I get a call from our other friend, Joe, and he says, I don't know if you know, but James was shot and killed last night. And so as I hung up and processed that, I thought back to about, you know, a few days prior, and he had said, hey, why don't you come meet me at this such and such a bar? It's my father's birthday. We're going to have a good time. You know, and because I was trying to make an effort 
to live for God again. I had told him, yeah, I'm going to pass. You know, I appreciate it, but I'm going to pass. That was the party where he was shot and killed. Um, and then we're at his funeral, and I'm thinking about this. I'm elaborating. I'm writing poems. I'm praying. I got this new focus, but I'm, I'm really troubled by his death. And I think back to when I was a teenager and I was able to witness to just about anybody. And I don't know where James was when he died. I don't know where he was in his life with God, but I know I didn't speak to him about God hardly at all. And I know that during that time when I had drifted away, I wasn't talking to God, talking about God at work or anywhere. I don't even know if people would know that I was a Christian at one time or, or that I was pastor's son at the time. And so reflecting, I was like, wow, I really had drifted farther away than I thought. And so the new focus, the new beginning, God had given me a second chance. And so at that funeral, I left that funeral with a new inspired power, okay? If we could pull up Lamentations 3, verses 21 to 23, says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. So no matter where I was at, and I, you do have to take a step toward him, but no matter where I was at, he was waiting, and he was there with his mercy waiting for me. We're going to go to Jonah 3. This is powerful. This first verse is huge. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Okay, stop. He spoke to him a second time. What does that tell you? Jonah had how many chances? He had a second chance. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time... Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence." Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. There's always a second chance. When you give God a second chance, he's going to give you a second chance. I want you to know something tonight. I'm here tonight as living proof right? To tell you that God's love is unfailing. Do you know what unfailing means? Unfailing means it's not going to fail. And so if I take a step forward, he's going to take two towards me. 
or I go run into him and he's going he's gonna to he's gonna grab me with open arms. So never lose hope. In the face of despair, a lot of different things could have happened in my life. And, and not all of you know my story and the pains I've been through and the stuff I've gone through. But he is a God of restoration. I'm here to tell you he is a God of restoration. Never lose hope in the face of despair. Could we turn to 1 John 1 verse 9? I'm sorry, these are a few extras. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now that's awesome. I'll tell you this, you may still pay for something you did that was wrong, but he's, take, he's cleansing you from that wickedness. You have a fresh start. You have that second chance. If God has given you a second chance, don't lose it. You may not get another. We're not promised tomorrow. He didn't bring you this far to leave you. Amen? He already said he goes before us. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. How many have ever thought that? God, I've been praying for the same thing over and over and over. Now I'm doing my part. How come you haven't arrived? No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. If God is giving that second chance, I'm, I promise you tonight, you don't want to lose that opportunity. I would like to think about my second chance. It has been such an incredible and rewarding journey that I'm on. If I could share you, if you could walk with me and see where I've been and where I've come, you would you'd be rejoicing. <clears throat> if we could turn to 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Like I said, a lot of you don't know, maybe some of you don't know uh, my story, or maybe it's the first time you've heard it. Uh, you don't know what I've been through, what I've gone through. Like, I don't know what you've been through, what you've gone through, unless you've shared it with me. But there was a time I, I'd been so low and in such a dark place, so far from God, and I had given up. And I remember thinking I was going to never be able to find the presence or feel the presence of God again. So that's why that second chance was so huge for me. I lay in bed, I remember, at one point in like a fetal position, and I, was, I thought I was dreaming, but it, it seemed so real, and I saw two red devil eyes looking straight at me, almost like bright red lasers. I remember thinking, it felt like Satan himself was going to snatch me up and take me to hell with him. That's how dark I felt at that moment. And God took me from that. And brought me to a place where, no matter what I'm afraid of, I can still plow forward and try to do what he's called me to do. And try to do it to my best of my ability. I cried out to God. I remember crying so uncontrollably. And I was shaking so uncontrollably during that, that dream or vision or whatever I was seeing. And I cried out the name of Jesus. I cried it out two or three times. A second chance. When I called out Jesus, a second chance. Could we stand, please? I didn't verbally ask for that. 
But all I know was I needed Jesus. I needed Jesus to help me. I needed Jesus to forgive me. I needed Jesus to restore me. Hallelujah. And he did. He moved toward me as I moved toward him. Now, before this, I asked you to think of somebody in your life. Maybe it's you. I don't know if you've been called to do something for God and you've put it on a back burner or if you have a friend or family member or somebody close to you. I remember texting my wife, uh, I believe it was yesterday, and I said, babe, thanks for being with me through this. She didn't ask for this. She didn't ask to try to go and start, start a church somewhere where we're not even sure who's going to show up from Sunday to Sunday. But she's by my side. She's helping me through it. And if you have someone in your life like that, hold on to them. If they're backing you up, if they're supporting you, there's some of you here who check on me all the time. And you check how we're doing, you check how the church is going, and, and to see if, you know, if we're growing and what's, what God's doing there. Some of you text me that you're praying for me. That's awesome. And if you don't, I'm, I'm begging you to pray for us because God's doing something in the city of Milwaukee. God's doing something in the city of New Berlin. God's doing something in the city of Brookfield. Muskego. I want you right now, if God's called you to do something, whatever that is, is between you and him. If God has really called you to do something, whatever part of that journey you're on, whether it be you're listening to the voice of God or maybe you're like Samuel, right, with Eli, where you, God called you and you're questioning, oh, I think God's calling me. Whatever you're feeling, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I want you to come forward. If God has called you to do something in his kingdom, I don't care how little it is, how big it is, I want you to come forward. Please. And I want you to think about this. Where am I at in that journey? Did he give me a second chance? If he gave you a second chance, rejoice. If you need a second chance, then the altar is where you need to be. On your face, praying, asking God, crying out to God to direct you back to that place where you felt his call, where you felt you had purpose, where you felt you had value in his kingdom. Jesus, we love you. You died on the cross for us. And you're asking us maybe to do something so insignificant in our minds, but so powerful in the kingdom. Jesus' name, hallelujah. Let's seek his face.